Listening to the Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. Thanks to Concordia University Wisconsin for supporting the Coffee Hour. Find out more about Concordia University Wisconsin at cuw.edu. Live uncommon. Last week, hopefully, you caught last week's episode of Mental Health Monday as we got into this topic of women, men, and emotions, maybe looking at some of the differences that might be there between how women and men perceive or experience emotions. Our guest for this special series, two-episode series in Mental Health Monday, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman, our regular guest here on Mental Health Mondays. Good morning, Heidi. Good morning. And the Reverend Dr. Richard Mars, Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Dr. Mars, welcome back. Thank you very much. Very good to be with you. Last week, we had a great conversation just understanding where you come from as mental health professionals, also as church workers and the people you serve and the experience you've had as professionals. And then we started our conversation understanding where what role generalizations have in this conversation and caveats and disclaimers about understanding how culture plays a role in understanding the difference between men and women and, and emotions. Um, so let's dig into some, and, and we also talked about the value of having a, a shared vocabulary, that lexicon that Heidi did such a nice job of creating for us in writing emotions and the gospel. So now we all have like these, and not that you invented the terms, but <laughs> documented them for us and, and gave them to us in a nice little paperback so that we could learn them and learn how to use them on a daily basis. And so now let's dig into some of these emotions, some of the things we've talked about in emotions and the gospel and take a a step back and look at it with that lens of do men or women perceive this or experience this differently? So looking back at the, the early parts of emotions and the gospel, Heidi, you gave us a great foundation for understanding emotion, particularly in light of God and emotions that God has and the image of God and this, this whole foundation that, that helped us understand a bit about why we have emotions, how we, and how we experience them, even how we look at that. Do you think it makes a difference if we're looking at that from the perspective of a man or a woman and understanding where emotions come from or why we have emotions? I think it's really helpful to have these emotional foundations written out, like you said, because I actually think it helps us even the playing field, if you will, as far as emotions for men and women. There's just so much cultural overlay about how we see our emotions, how we experience emotions as men and women. And like Dr. Mars said, like he sees evidence of some of that. And it's always the question, right? Nurture or nature is this part of our internal spirit as a woman or a man? Or is this part of what we've been taught is a woman or a man and how we experience things? And so I think we have to hold that question kind of lightly and be curious when we interact with emotions and the question of men and women as to those two things, nurture and nature. I like the foundation because it centers us on emotions being connected to the image of God. And who has the image of God? You do. I do. We all do. Humanity, as Dr. Mars says, human creatures, people who have been made by God with his love and with his care, his affection, and just intimacy and that desire to be known as they are known by God, that is hugely important because we experience that as both men and women. I think the question that we ask as curious Christians is, how do we 
experience it differently as men and women, which is the topic of this. And I think I, we've said this before on here. I studied the Song of Songs because of that question for myself. And I do a lot of work in Genesis 3, 2 and 3 especially. But the Bible says some things about male and female. It says some things about gender. But it also, just as the Bible normally will do, it upsets our ideas of gender norms. It occasionally offers, like in the Song of Songs, like her neck is like a strong towel. We often culturally attribute to masculinity and we see some delicacy attributed to the the male in Song of Songs, which we normally attribute to femininity. And so I really encourage when the listener walks away from this to not just believe what we say about male and female, but to dig into scripture themselves and to see what they think God has to say about his emotions, center on those emotional foundations of the image of God, and then pan out for there if you have questions, especially about male and female, and see how they kind of pan out, if you will, in scripture. Dr. Mars? Yeah, I, I like what you said there, Heidi. Why did God give us emotions is kind of a basic question. And I think it is because he wanted us to be in relationship with him and with each other. And emotions then actually allow that to happen. He he didn't want, well, you talked about Genesis 3, uh, Genesis 1 and 2. He didn't want Adam to be alone. So he made Eve in order that they could have relationships with one another, emotional relationships, cognitive relationships, sexual relationships. Ironic that you focus on Song of Songs. I, I teach a sexuality course here at the seminary, struggling with sexuality issues in our culture. And I actually ask the students to read the Song of Songs like five or 10 times during that class because we, we underuse that particular book, especially when we're trying to understand why God created us this way as, as sexual creatures, to be able to to relate as husband and wife one to another. But yeah, he made us this way. This is, emotions are part of that. Both the the emotions that are positive like joy, but the emotions that are more, we consider more negative. Again, I like how you describe it in your book better, but those that we think of as more, more negative like sadness or fear, anger, uh, those are all part of relating to other people and how do we do that? I'm, I'm looking at a quote here in Kurt Thompson's book, The Anatomy of the Soul, which looks at, at um, emotions from an interpersonal neurobiological approach. And Siegel's made that very popular in the last 20 plus years. And I really like what they do because, you know, when I was in grad school and I took a class on, on the brain, we basically just studied how do drugs work on the brain. But now then we're now studying, well, how do social interactions change the brain and how can we make differences in, our, in ourselves as we mature by actively stimulating neuronal growth through different activities that we might do. But yeah, the mind is an embodied and relational process emerging from within and between brains that regulates the flow of energy and information. That's too much to, to unpack. Basically, it's saying... We are relational, emotional beings, and we try to come together because we have these emotions and we're attracted to different people in different ways be because of their emotional. And we're constantly trying to make a, an emotional connection with other people, be it in our family or in our churches, or in our businesses. Emotions are just extremely important, and too many people downplay them and think that 
that no thoughts are the only thing that are truly important. Again, I hear a lot of men say that things like that. Thoughts are somehow not impacted by by sinful nature. No, mm-hmm. both our thoughts and our emotions have been impacted by the fall. How do we look at how God created us in in these emotions so we can t- continue to live at peace with him, understand the peace that he has given us that surpasses all understanding. When we are angry, to kind of understand why why we might be angry. When we're sad, when we're grieving because we've lost something or someone proper to grieve. We grieve as those who have hope, as Paul says in First Thessalonians 4. But a lot of people think, oh, no, I shouldn't even be grieving over the loss of my loved one. That's not faithful. No, it's it's part of the human existence because we grieve even our even our God has grieved. I could point to six different Bible verses where it says God grieved. So, mm-hmm. We've talked so much about how our emotions are part of, of, of how God created us. How much of that, and Kaidi, you mentioned nature versus nurture, how much of that men versus women, how we perceive things, how much of that is cultural? How much of that is, is what we learn just by living around the people that we live around? <laughs> so hard. I mean, it's just so hard. I feel like this is the the great existential question of our time. I tend toward a belief in, that it is extremely influenced by our culture, mostly because of what I was saying. Like, biblically speaking, the Bible has only so much to say about male and female. It does say it exists. That's important, right? Male and female. But I think that... <laughs> We at this time in our culture, especially like are at a space where there was so much interest in this within the church and other denominations in particular in the last 50 years or so that we're almost like enmeshed. Like when we get to a point of enmeshment where we're like, what is real and what is not real? Like, what have I been taught? What do I believe? What I don't, you know, what don't I believe? Again, we have to return to scripture and be like, just got to actually have to say about this without all my assumptions that I grew up with. I actually think that's one reason it's a tension in our culture right now. We we have a really hard time when we're confronted with concerns of transgender or even like the larger LGBTQ plus community, when in reality, honestly, it's a tension that makes sense to me because these are questions we're all asking of what is nature, what is nurture for our gender and for our sexuality. And I think that God does offer some boundaries, and that's really helpful because boundaries are part of his love that he tries to keep us safe. But I do need to ask myself, I think when we're confronted by something that is emotions and the idea of male and femaleness, we need to ask ourselves, like, is this an area of freedom that God offers? And and take it from there. Because we do have a God who says in Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom he has set us free. As Lutherans, I think that's such a part of our doctrine of grace that Jesus has fought and won the battle. And while we want to respect God's boundaries and, you know, just really maintain that close relationship with what he has willed for our life, we also can step back and say, where where does the world or our culture or even my family as I grow into adulthood have some ideas for me that are within my freedom of God? I think that's a really important thing when we look at our emotions, especially. And I work with, you know, a lot of men in counseling as well as women. And I think I do see a cultural overlay 
where they both feel a lack of freedom in their emotions and men in particular feel a sense of shame in that lack of freedom that is especially strong and ends up hurting their relationships. And a lot of times I think that's what they come to counseling for because they find the relational impact to be what becomes unbearable. Um, And then we have to start looking at our belief system about those emotions. We need to take a quick break. When we come back from the break, we'll continue the conversation. We're talking with Dr. Mars and Deaconess Heidi Gaiman about emotions, men and women, and how we perceive them, how we experience them. We'll continue the conversation on Mental Health Monday on the Coffee Hour in just a moment. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. At Concordia University, Wisconsin, we believe you were created for a reason, to use your God-given gifts to help others, to live a life of self-sacrifice in a me-first world, to live a life that's uncommon. Whether you're taking one of 50-plus online programs or learning with us in person on the shores of Lake Michigan, you'll be equipped to make an uncommon impact. Learn more at cuw.edu. Concordia University, Wisconsin. Live uncommon. Welcome back to The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. It is Mental Health Monday. Today, we get to talk with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman and the Reverend Dr. Richard Mars, Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis, taking a look at men, women, and emotions as we've worked through emotions in the gospel with Deaconess Heidi Gaiman now taking a look at how men and women might perceive emotions differently. Dr. Mars, before we jump into the next question, did you have anything in response to what we what Heidi just shared just a moment ago? No, it was good. Yeah, let's go, go to the next question. Right. <laughs> Thanks, okay. It was good. Yeah. So we, we talked about regulation and emotional processes when we work through emotions and the gospel and contemplation, articulation, exploration, connection, all those shun words that to help us understand regulation and emotional processes. Do you think men and women perceive these or experience these differently? Do men regulate differently than women do when it comes to emotions? <laughs> That's so good. Heidi? Well, we should probably let, let's let Dr. Mars start because I can yeah. always fill in the space, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, men go out and play uh, intramural football and basketball, and sometimes they get rough with each other in those sports. I know there were times even at the, at the seminary where I felt like I needed to go out and say, hey guys, we're all just seminarians here we don't we're not that competitive you don't have to hurt each other and in order to to win this where women's sports tends to be very different you know there's a lot more connection about the the relationships within the team my daughter used to play high school tennis and so just coaching that tennis women's tennis team is very different than coaching like a men's tennis team with the level of competition for for some guys that they're even willing to cheat if they can to to win. So so I don't know. Regulation men contemplate their emotions but don't articulate them as well in my experience. Women probably explore them better, both connect, but they may connect in some in some different ways and as a generalization. I I did think of one other thing after what you had said. We also should probably remember that we in the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, come from this Germanic background, and the expression of German emotions tends to be downplayed, and we're several generations from away from that, so things change, and I'm only 
20, 25% German myself, but that's been a cultural thing for, for years and how dour Germans can, can be about their emotional expression. And when, when students point that out to me, that they're going to these German congregations to, to serve, I say, well, yeah, but remember that Luther was very expressive about his emotions. I mean, you just read what he wrote and read what people said about him, and he was just expressing emotions all over the place. So he may not have been a typical German in that way as, as he was in show. Could we, should we model after, after Luther, who, again, as many of us know, struggled with depression himself? I, I, I have debates among my colleagues, you know, what kind of depression did did Luther struggle with? I think it might have been some sort of low-level bipolar disorder because he was mm. very and, so and prolific. I'm <laughs> depressed for for days at a time. So if if Luther and Walther could struggle with depression as men, how can we also say, oh, I guess it's okay for men to sometimes admit they're feeling sad or grieving or depressed about something? So. So I would say, too, to that, Dr. Mars, I think that's so insightful to bring that those concepts of like the dramatic Germanic influence, as well as Luther himself. I often think about Luther, that what if Luther was able to deal with his sadness rather than his anger? Like that, you know, anger often is that secondary emotion that comes up when we're not able to express or be even be aware of maybe another emotion. That's a way we regulate to be able to, you know, put it out into the world. Often anger feels safer for us. And, you know, I Luther's really great in his writing, especially at expressing his deep sadness. But we see sometimes, I think, the result of when we aren't able to express those other emotions. And then they regulate themselves as anger. I also think of Melanchthon as Luther's gospel to his own law, right? Like he needed a friend to help him or he needed Katie um, to be with him and help him regulate. That's that co-regulation. And you see that active in Luther's life. And I think it's really helpful and cool. And even with the princes. And I also think you see sometimes Luther's overstatement, which we talked about, as a result of some of his emotional elevation or arousal. And I often wonder if we sat down with Luther today, what would he say? Oh, yeah, maybe I should have said it a little gentler or maybe I would restate it like this. You know, he's a human. And I'm very curious about that. I can't wait for heaven for those kind of yes. things. And for the new creation, right? And restoration. And so then to the Germanic point, I would we talked about this on Coffee Hour before, how I've heard that my whole life. And I, I'm not German. Like that is not really much of my heritage. And so I was always kind of like blown away. Also vaguely unchurched as a a very, like as a younger child and much more church in my life later. And so I was like, what is this German Lutheranism business people keep referencing about when they're blunt and when they're maybe mildly rude at times at church? And... (laughs) And and so I always thought, well, I, why would I want to go to Germany? People talked about it. I'm like, why would I want to go there if that's how people are, you know? And then I went to Germany to visit my good friend, Kim Hiltman. And I was like, Kim, they're so friendly and warm and gracious. I think sometimes back to that cultural overlay, I kind of wonder if our German ancestors, the one you're referencing, even Walther and Stefan and all of their companions, they aren't actually exerting their pioneer or their like immigrant um, experience in their emotional experience more than they are that Germanic cultural overlay that then I think we assume 
as people from that heritage. And so you can see right there some of the cultural overlays, like taking part in what we're talking about. That is interesting. Just the differences between those people who came from Europe to, and from all over the world, but came to immigrate here and the trauma that they went through to get here, you know, people that died mm-hmm. in the process. And, and yeah, it just, it, it, I'm sure that that had systemic systems theory sorts of impacts on lots of people for generations and generational trauma just came on through for, for years and years. So. Yeah, absolutely. I think you see it in the writings of Walther, too, where he he was in a certain time and place with some really challenging situations. And I think you can see if you read back through Walther, some of his emotional elevation, perhaps, where I think we assume there's only intellectual insight. Yeah. I Every semester I read a few paragraphs from one of Walther's letters to his congregation when he was taking a sabbatical because he would they granted him a sabbatical because he was so depressed. I don't tell students who it is. I just read it for about four paragraphs and say, all right, anybody want to guess on who this is? And they hardly ever guess Walther because we hold him in such high esteem. But then they're kind of surprised to realize, oh, yeah, he was really clinically depressed, near, I mean, potentially suicidal or whatever. Just all the pressures that fell on him in, in growing this church and church body and so forth. He mm-hmm. had, had a lot of it. So Well, and back to Andy's original question, right, is regulation. How much stuff do we see that's what we call clinical, right? Use that term, which means basically that we need help and treatment, whether medication or specific methods of therapy and things to help us, you know, regain ourselves really and get back to functioning and flourishing. Um, how much of that do we see? Because we aren't really allowed spaces to regulate ourselves. Or like I like to say, God is not regulation focused. He's actually restoration focused. So what if we were able to express our emotions or given spaces to contemplate them in freedom and allow God's restorative work in Christ and in the Holy Spirit to do their thing within in our relationship with God? I think we'd see a lot less clinical variances of like anxiety, depression, and other diagnoses. Yeah. And even it's a law gospel thing. Do do people primarily see God as law? Well, he's this dour father who is looking to tell us we're doing something wrong all the time. Or do they see, is their identity primarily in the gospel? And do they see that God is their loving parent? the father that they can go to and ask for things as as luther says in the in the lord's prayer introduction and so yeah if we see him from a primarily a gospel perspective then we feel his compassion we feel his love we feel his reconciliation with us but mm-hmm. if we're kind of focused on oh i need to do all these things right or god's going to be mad at me and we right. live in fear right and even like that that shows itself in very clandestine ways, I would say. I, this is one thing I feel really spa- or passionately about with spiritual trauma is the concept that that attachment relationship with God matters, right? And that's what you're talking about. How do we yeah. see him as our caregiver, our creator, the, you know, the lover of our souls? There's an attachment to that, which is both cognitive, but also emotional and relational and metaphysical, like with the Holy Spirit and with God as creator of the universe. And so we... 
I think really struggle. I read a research study, and I think we've talked about this on Coffee Hour before, that said 73% or more of people see God from that fear or anger-oriented vantage point. Mm-hmm. And in Western culture, so America and Europe, or where there's Westerners, and that number is no different within the church, no it's, different within the communities. That's very challenging to me. That says we have a lot of trauma and attachment work to do that says to people, and this should help us know then how to bring the gospel for their emotions is that God has space for you, that he wants to be with you and know you as he already knows you. He wants to hear from you about your emotions. And that is a way that we regulate ourselves, that we find restoration. We have just a minute left or so. Final thoughts from both of you. We've talked, we've covered a lot of ground. So what is something that you want our listeners to be left with, Heidi? Just as in the rest of this series, I hope they walk away from this with that gospel-centered vantage point of their emotions. I think Dr. Marge pointed out so well that we are law and gospel believers, that God is that attachment caregiver for us, that he sent Jesus to fulfill everything we needed. And so they do have freedom in those emotions, as well as the freedom of the boundaries that God gives us to be in and under Jesus Christ and growing up into him. And so I'm just really thankful for this conversation. And I pray that the listener was encouraged by it as much as I was. Dr. Mars? And likewise, again, yeah, we we are creatures. God created us. And sometimes we we think that we're bigger than we are. But when we realize we're creatures, creatures who are loved by God, and he gave his son for us so that he could be reunited with us, then we can live out our creatureliness with the emotions that he's given us and and live out lives of, well, put in the liturgy, joyful repentance. We are daily repenting of the sins that we have been trapped in, but we are also joyful because we know that he constantly loves and forgives us in our Lord Jesus Christ. And that lets us then interact with other people. When we know how much he has loved us, then we can reach out and love them as he has loved us. So, Our guest today, Deaconess Heidi Gaiman. Heidi, thanks so much for joining us again. Thanks for having me. And the Reverend Dr. Richard Mars, Professor of Practical Theology at Concordia Seminary in St. Louis. Dr. Mars, thanks so much for joining us Very today. good to be with you. Thank you guys for having us. So. You've been listening to Mental Health Monday on The Coffee Hour. I'm Andy Bates. I'm Sarah Golseth. The Coffee Hour with Andy and Sarah is a production of KFUO. To support The Coffee Hour and KFUO Radio, visit KFUO.org. You can also text KFUO to 41444 or send an email to gifts at KFUO.org. And you can call us at 800-844-0524. KFUO. Christ for you. Anytime. Anywhere. Anywhere.